0: Thank you, Ashley. Hey, good morning. Good morning, church. My name is Chuck Berry, if I haven't met you. And I'm privileged to serve as one of the pastors here at Orangewood. 2020, we've all made plans. But much of those plans have gone up in smoke because of a microscopic Virus, we can't seem to control that's causing a global pandemic. So, what did we do? We abandoned our plans and we slowed down. We watched, we waited, and many prayed. And the virus seemed to weaken its grip. We saw new cases and daily deaths our new daily vital statistics that we chart and that we graph. We watched those gradually drop over a few weeks. And with that, we began to make new plans. We started venturing out. We picked up the pace a bit. Then right here in Florida, even here in Orange County, COVID-19 gripped us seemingly tighter. So we abandoned our new plans. And we wait and watch, and indeed we continue to pray for guidance from God. How should we move forward? How do we plan when something as small as a microscopic virus can bring the world to its knees? And that's not the half of it. It's an election year in America. And we, the people, we've got issues. Good Lord. Good Lord. Please help us. So this morning, I have the privilege to continue our summer sermon series on the book of Proverbs. And today we're going to quite literally dive into the center of the book of Proverbs, Solomon's 31 Proverbs. And we're going to look at Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 3 primarily. And it's interesting to note before we jump in that it is here that the highest concentration of the name of God written happens right here. We think about the author of the Proverbs, King Solomon, King David's son, and he's known for having possessed the most godly amount of wisdom of any single human being, apart from Jesus Christ, of course. So assuming his use, Under the power of the Holy Spirit, of God's written name here is no accident. Assuming that it's no accident, what would you expect the topic of those verses to be? Would it be about the coming Messiah? Not exactly. The issue in the verses we're going to look at today are how can man make plans that actually stick? So let's read the scriptures together. As is our recent practice, which I think is great. Would you please stand where you are as we read the words of God? Proverbs 16, one through 3. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. And then Isaiah 55, 6 through 11. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Hear this, the word of God. Seven years ago, I chaperoned a retreat with a group of high school freshmen from a Christian school that included my daughter, Annabeth, on an adventure weekend in the mountains and woods of North Carolina. One afternoon, we played capture the flag in the woods with paint guns. This, there was this expansive wood, and each team, the way capture the flag works is there's An area, a large area usually, and there's a fort at either end. And there are two teams competing against one another, and in each fort is that team's flag. And the goal of the game is to capture the other team's flag and get it back to your fort without being taken out by your enemy combatants. So the game began, and I was on one of the teams, obviously, And I was planning in my mind, taking it all in. I devised my plan. You see, there was this gravel road that ran parallel to the field. And I had in my mind that if I could gather some of my teammates, we could sneak up to the enemy fort. My teammates could lay down cover fire for me making those guarding their flag hide behind trees. And at that point, I would rush in, grab the flag, sneak over to that road, and run like crazy back to my fort and bring my team victory. We would be victorious. Well, my team, we snuck up, we laid down cover fire, and the enemy students guarding their flag ducked for cover behind the trees. I love it when my plan comes together, which was my opportunity to run in and grab the flag, and I did, and I got it. I then proceeded with my escape plan. I made it without getting hit over to the side road and started running as fast as I could. So picture this, a 50-something-year-old man wearing foggy lab goggles. Wearing a helmet with a face mask and a neck shield. Carrying a two-foot-long metal paint gun, complete with a compressed air tank attached. Carrying it with both hands. The flag stuck in the back of my pants. And I was running as fast as I could run down a dirt road through the woods of North Carolina to victory. Then it happened. I hadn't gotten very far down the road because something weird happened. In my mind, I was able to run really fast. But in reality, my legs were not cooperating with my brain. Go figure. Apparently, I hadn't done anything like this before, ever. And somewhere along the line, I'd officially gotten old and gained about 190 pounds. So I remember running and trying to run, perhaps is a better description, down this road when suddenly my toe hit a root. I went flying headlong. I landed first on my gun, flat on the ground, and then my momentum carried my feet over my head and I ended up lying on my back with my feet pointing in the direction that I had been running. I was still clenching my gun, flag still stuck in my pants, and there I was. To make matters worse, while I was falling, two of my uh, opponents had been hiding along that road and saw me coming. And as I ran and tripped and as I was falling, they painted me up. I was covered from head to toe in yellow splatches. I remember lying there, kind of in shock, when they walked up and asked me if I was all right. Well, apart from my damaged pride and a fresh sense of failure to lift my team to victory and the four broken ribs that I did not realize I had, I was winded, but I said yes, and I continued to lie there to catch my breath and swallow my pride, accepting the hard reality that I was officially... An old man. Well, the coming days proved interesting. Four days later, after a lot of Tylenol and Advil, I was taken by ambulance to a hospital where my left lung cavity was drained of fluid, and a very slow one year recovery process began. Not only did my body have to recover, but my arrogant and selfish heart needed the Holy Spirit's medicine too. What was, what was wrong with going for the glory, trying to win the game? Was the most loving thing I could have done that day for the students? Was the most loving thing I could have done, was getting the flag and winning a game? Who was at the center of all my planning? Why did I want to win? Why did I want to be the hero? Who was I trying to impress? What was I trying to prove and to whom? And how did it turn out following all my plans? The game had exposed me. My frailty, my true nature, even my true motives. So I ask you, have you ever been in an experience like that? That exposed you to others? Maybe just to yourself. Or both. With that in mind, let's look at Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. There are four truths stated in these verses. I'm going to give you all of them right now, and then we're going to look at each one. So number one, although we, man, although we make plans, it is God who directs every one of our steps. Number two, We trust our plan thinking that it's good and right, but it's actually not. Number three, God alone can judge a person's heart and he finds each one impure and deceitful. And then lastly, if we commit our work to the Lord, then God establishes our plan. So those are the four truths stated in this passage. So let's look at each one. First, although we plan in our mind and heart, God establishes our every step. What I want to do is I want to look at a series of scriptures that apply to each one of these points. So we're going to look, probably, we're going to look at a lot of little verses today, but hopefully I can tie them together. So although we plan in our mind and heart, God establishes our every step. So look at these verses. First one, Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And lastly, Proverbs 20, 24a, a man's steps are from the Lord. Wow. We think about this. We make plans in our heart and in our mind. We think and consider and strategize. Is that bad? No, it's absolutely biblical to plan. If you think of Noah, did he have to plan to build the ark? Think of Joseph planning to feed a nation uh, because of a famine. Think of Esther trying to figure out how she was going to confront the king, her husband, with hard news. Think about Nehemiah who wanted to build, rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Think about Paul planting churches from city to city to city. Planning is wonderfully good and biblical as long as we're mindful that God is ultimately in control. So let's look at the next point. We trust our plans, thinking them pure, good, and right. But they're not. So let's look at Proverbs 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Next, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man listens to advice. And lastly, Proverbs 28, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So we trust in our plans and we tend to think that the way we think and the plans we devise out of our mind and heart, we tend, we assume that they're right and they're good. But God's word here is quite clear. They are not. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, God says. Number three, God alone can judge a person's heart and he finds each one impure and deceitful. This is a hard one to swallow, But it's true. Look at the scriptures to back it up. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul in Romans 5 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then Romans 3 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then the Apostle John says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So here we are after the first three points. What do we see? We see a sovereign God who's in control. We see that we are prone, prone to rebel against God's holy plans. In favor of our own, our self-centered motives continually betray God and ourselves because we're actually trapped in our own thinking, which leads to destruction and ultimately death, unless God acts and God has acted. And he calls us to seek him out, to commit our ways the Lord. And that brings us to the fourth point. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And what I want to show you this morning is this is a four-step process. A four-step process. If you want your plans to be established, which is the result we all desire, there's a prerequisite. And it's that we commit our work to the Lord. So, Here's the four-step process. Cooperate, confide, consult, and decide. Cooperate, confide, consult, decide, repeat, and repeat, and repeat. So let's look at the first one. Cooperate. The Hebrew word for commit here means literally to roll towards. To roll towards. It assumes a change of course. First, you have to stop. From whatever direction you're rolling, we even have an expression. We say, when someone rolls over, what do we mean by that? We mean they surrender, right? It's, a, it's an act of submission to roll over. Well, in order to commit your work to the Lord, you have to choose to roll over on your plans and roll towards God's plan. It assumes a change of course. And isn't this the whole meaning behind the term repent? The gospel in its simplest, shortest form is repent and believe. We have to turn from the direction that we are heading in in order to align ourselves with the direction God would have us go. We have to commit our way to the Lord. That means we have to stop putting our faith and trust in our thinking, our intellect, our logic, and trust God and his word. So that's cooperate basically means we have to surrender ourselves to God's direction and his plan. Secondly, we need to confide. We need to confide. This is crying out. Committing to the Lord means confiding in him. It means crying out to him. Did you know that 30% of the Psalms are laments? Do you know what a lament is? A lament has four basic parts. It begins with a desperate cry to God, then a confession of our sin, then a request for God's help, and then it finishes with a statement of praise. Psalm 51 of King David is a lament where he confesses his sin to God. He's lamenting, and we, in order to commit our way to the Lord, we need to not only cooperate with God, but we need to confide in him. We need to cry out to him. We have much as sinful people, even the church, we have much that we need to lament over with David, David. One of the beautiful things about having God's word is we can pray through it. We can pray through lamenting psalms. And our hearts can connect with God through his word, which is his desire. And he meets us there. And he makes us new. The third step in committing, we have cooperate, confide, and Consult. Consult. That means we need to talk to God about our situations. We need to pray to him. We need to get quiet, get alone, get with him. We need to get into his word and be quiet and listen. This takes time. It takes intentionality to spend time with him. To meditate on his word. To consider what he is speaking to us by his holy spirit through his words we need to seek godly counsel certainly from god but the proverbs also talk about the importance of seeking godly counsel from other brothers and sisters in christ the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man listens to advice says proverbs 12:15 with counsel plans Without counsel, plans fail. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 15, 22. So cooperate, confide, consult, and lastly, decide. You have to make a decision. So based on your cooperation, your confiding, and your consultations, you prayerfully before God decide what your way is going to be. I want you to notice the order in Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You see, what we often do is we bring our plan to God and we want him to establish the work that we get to do. It's actually the opposite. God says to commit your work and then your plans will be established. You see, we need to commit our work, daily, daily. So we need to cooperate, confide, consult, and decide daily. It's a process. It's a decision loop, if you will, that we need to develop and work into our being, cooperate, confide, consult, decide, repeat, 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 And as we learn to live each day in this movement and attitude of submission and dependency and humility with God, in community with others of the faith, we will find that over time our plans will be established. Why? Because you will be seeking God's will for you not your will and he will establish his work through you as you live dependently on him so that's what Isaiah 55 is really all about Isaiah says it's awesome it's really the gospel according to Isaiah the prophet seek the Lord while he may be found turn from your unrighteous thoughts and ways Return to the Lord in humility. Seek his compassion and his abundant pardon. For his ways are so much more higher than your ways. His thoughts are much higher than your thoughts. And Isaiah uses the analogy of as high as the heavens are from the earth. That's how much higher God's ways and his thoughts are in comparison to yours. And so Isaiah describes this. Huge expanse as a comparison between my thoughts and my ways and God's thoughts and his ways. This huge expanse. And then Isaiah basically says that God, just like rain that falls from the sky and hits the ground and causes seeds to grow, that God spans the gap. God, by sending his word, written and living, spans this infinite gap between me and my creative Godfather. And that the word would not return void. And so Jesus, God incarnate, the living word, spanned the gap for me. He made it across the expanse that I could never get across. He accomplished what I could never accomplish. Righteousness. Fulfilling his father's perfect will in his life. And then he willingly went to the cross and sacrificed his life so that I might receive pardon and so that I might receive through faith in him his righteousness and be declared and counted as pure and good and righteous in my father's eyes because I am through faith in the gospel of Jesus, I am covered by Christ's righteousness and I am in Christ as Paul loved to use that expression in Christ in Christ by faith by grace through faith I am in Christ but I have to commit my ways to the Lord so how do I make good decisions I have to cooperate confide consult and decide over and over and over again. So I want to finish this message with a story. It's a sensitive story, but it will set us up for our final hymn, our final song. In 1750, at age 25, Captain John commanded his own English slave ship. He anchored off the African coast, purchasing natives taken captive by rival tribes. The slave traders bartered to get the finest specimens, offering alcohol, cloth, and weapons. Captain John's men took the terrified slaves aboard and chained them below decks in two-foot-high pins to prevent suicide. As many as 600 lay side by side, like fireplace logs, row after row. There were no toilet facilities or ventilation. The stench was indescribable. Captain John's ship had not only chains, but neck collars and cuffs and thumbscrews. They sailed from Africa to the Caribbean, selling the slaves for molasses, rum, and other valuables. Like other captains, John allowed his crew to mistreat the female slaves, as Captain John did himself. Sometimes a quarter of the slaves died on the journey, sometimes more. Captain John blasphemed God and engaged in brutality and immorality. He prided himself, he prided himself on being incorrigible. As a young crewman, when the ship he had served on nearly sank, Captain John professed Jesus Christ. But he spent years committing evil thereafter before he finally experienced a lifestyle conversion. At that point, he left the slave trade and felt increasing remorse for what he'd done. For the last half of his life, he pastored a church near London where he preached the gospel, taught the scriptures, and eventually spoke against the slave trade. It was at this point that Captain John Newton encouraged young parliamentarian William Wilberforce in his battle to outlaw slavery. John Newton went on to write hundreds of hymns, the most famous of which is the most popular song among many African Christians throughout the world. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Christian author Randy Alcorn writes this, quote, Newton's claim to wretchedness was not hyperbole. He clearly saw the evil in himself, an evil that remains better hidden in many. While John Newton may appear an extreme case, the Bible teaches that all of us are evil lovers and evildoers. Blind wretches we are in desperate need of God's transforming grace at age 82 before his death a physically blind but spiritually sighted john newton said this quote my memory is nearly gone but i remember two things that i am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. So I challenge you this morning. Will you, will you commit your ways to the Lord and allow him to establish his plans and your plans?